I would rather hearken to one Irish piper playing the fox chase than to 15 politicians bellowing on ancient themes political. To his instrument, hive of honeyed sounds, the bee-new of Brittany, the pipe of Pan, or of Calabrian Pifarare, the shrill bag of reed quavers of the Scottish Highlander, or of Algerian Turkle, there is not. In some places, a piper is allowed to each company of soldiers. The Germans have him, and I look upon their pipe as a warlike instrument. The bagpipe is good enough music for them who love it, but sure it is not so good as the Elmaine whistle. Pipes is kind of the most awkward instrument. I would say that the bagpipe is like a woman. Both are temperamental. <laughs> I think that sums it up, doesn't it? The pipe is an instrument that appears to have stirred strong feelings of liking or dislike throughout the centuries. It has been found in some form in nearly all the early civilizations. In Ireland, we have documentary evidence of it before the Normans came. Brendan Branagh. The first distinction must be made is that there are pipes in which uh, mouth blown, as it were, and then pipes which are fed from a bag. Now, it's the bagpipes now we are interested in, of course. Um, in a topographical poem, a poem dealing with an explanation for the name of a place, it was written in Ireland in the middle of the 11th century. We find the, the pipes, the bagpipes, for the first time mentioned... It deals with the fur of Carmen, which was a um, a gathering of three or four petty kingdoms together in an assembly for the purpose of doing legal business and fixing up social affairs and that. And at the same time, there was a great deal of merriment and enjoyment provided. One of the things, in fact, provided was seven races every day. The poet go out, goes on to enumerate all the various activities. There were Kushlinoch, um, that is a, a pipe blower. Uh, the peep we were there. There were <clears throat> people playing tin pawns, people playing harps, there were people bellowing, whatever kind of a, an amusement that was. There were storytellers there and they enumerate all the different kinds of stories. But for our purpose, what the thing does illustrate is that there was a, a difference between the Kushlinoch and the now, many centuries and up to the present time in Irish, peepwee is always associated with the bagpipes. So that it's reasonable, I think, to accept that the peepwee, when first used in this poem, did indicate the bagpipes as we know them today. I would say it's in our blood more so than... It is, because it started yeah. off, off in Ireland. It yeah. off, yeah. started off in the hills of County Antrim. Yeah. The first pipes were made in Ireland as well. They actually come from Egypt into Brittany and from Brittany to the hills of County Antrim. And they were making them in the hills of County Antrim before they were making them in Scotland. 
Uh, it's not until the beginning of the 16th century, around 1500, if we get an actual representation of the pipes here in Ireland that you can say certainly now that is the, the bagpipes as we know it today. And it occurs in a missal that was written in uh, Monastreven. Uh, the experts are not quite sure when to date it, but it seems to be written about 1500. On the, on the margin of this missal there's a young person sitting down and he has the present, he's playing the present day, what we call in Ireland the war pipes or the Scots call the Great Highland Pipe. That is, he has a bag in front of him, he has a blowpipe in which he's filling, inflating the bag from the mouth. He has a big long chanter and he has two drones. There's also a rude kind of wood carving, two associated with the same period. And these are the earliest representations of the, the pipes in Ireland. Uh, a strange thing about them, and while we call them who are war pipes in Ireland, there doesn't appear to have been any instrument played during battles in pre-Norman Ireland at all. There are greater constant literature of the night before, we say, an engagement or that. There were harpers playing and there were people reciting stories and singing these long lays and this kind of thing. But there is no mention that... Actually, in the middle of the battle, somebody played a pipes or somebody did something with a harp. The idea about the minstrel boy is wholly fanciful, you know, that he went into the war. <laughs> Not he, of course. He was a professional. He didn't do those kind of things. Are there any references to particular <laughs> tunes being played in battle? Uh, not in the very early times at all. But there are. There was a famous commander here, Alistair uh, Macdonald. He was from the North Ireland and back into the Kingdom of the Islands and this uh, of the Gallowglass people too. And he was fighting here during the Confederate Wars. In fact, he was killed at a battle fought in November 1647 between General Taff and Inchiquin at Nocknanos, which is near Cantark and Cork. And it is said that when he was killed, that the pipers on the field made a lament for him. Well, now, it's very hard to, to know how anybody can be so certain about an event like that. But there is a piece of music which is, is ancient, certainly, and has been just survived into the present century, known as... The Goldnamonsonor um, was the name applied to it. Uh, Marshal Alistrum, I think in this particular case, is the, the more correct name. McAllistrum's Mac- March. Ma- March, yes. And it is referred to in the 18th century by Smith in his history of Cork as being a, an extraordinary kind of piece of music where you'd have hundreds of the peasants going from one place to another and they kind of playing this thing as a corner, and that would be the march. Briefly, it's a piece, as they call them in Irish, and what it consisted of was the call to the battle, as it were, first of all, and you have a march, six, eight times, Alison's march, that's the piece itself.
many references too in the literature, I think, to the use of the pipes at funerals and wakes and weddings and hurling matches, all that kind of thing. Uh, yes, they, they're commented first upon by, we say, foreign observers as being the peculiarly Irish instrument of battle. This is in post-Norman times, of course, the 15th, 16th century, where other nations, it said, used the trumpet. That would be to give directions to soldiers to advance, retreat and this kind of thing. Keating mentions about their use in Connaught, as if Connaught was a far-off place like where they brought the, uh, when they brought the corpse to the church. And some of the English travellers, one Dunton, who was around around the end of the 17th century, he was at a wake, he said, when people were dancing around in a circle, as this, he said, the, to say the fairies do, and where his view was dinned with the continual noise of the pipe and the common harper, as it were. Now, all these references would relate to the, the mouth-blown uh, bagpipes, as it were. When did a distinctively Irish instrument emerge? Um, it is very difficult to say because unless you, you have some added description apart from he played the pipes or he played on the pipes, you can't be certain whether he was marching playing the pipes or whether there was a new instrument sitting down. But the general opinion is that they emerged around the beginning of the 18th century. That's um, In England, the earliest dated bellows is around 1693 or 1694. Now, what distinguishes this particularly Irish um, specimen is that instead of blowing and filling a bag from your mouth, there's a bellow substituted for that. Another difference is that the chanter, that is the, the, the musical tube, as it were, in which the melody is played, that, that has a range of two octaves where the older Irish pipes and the present-day Scots and the present-day war pipes, of course, have a range of nine notes. They have a note below and then an octave, as it were. Both the Illan pipes and the Highland or war pipes flourish in Ireland, the latter mostly in pipe bands, and that applies to both north and south of the border. Andy Warnock is Ireland's principal maker of pipes, and he's known as a supplier of pipes all over the world. We're here now in Cookstown in County Tyrone in what is probably the only factory for making pipes in the whole of Ireland. Would that be right, Andy? Well, I wouldn't say it's the only factory for making pipes because there's alien pipes made, but I'm the only one that manufactures the Scottish pipe. And I'll show you in log form. I can get the timber from West Africa, from present Namines, to depend on. I can buy it in log form or get it in club form. So if you'd like to come through into the workshop. You have both here. The actual tree, in fact, is, is here beside us on the right. That's correct. That's and the, the smaller ones on the left. The one there. Yes. Well, so if you'd like to come through. Good enough, Andy. You, you lead the way. Now you saw, I told you, a log form, which you see it there. Now, the pipes are mounted with imitation ivory or the real elephant tusk. That's a full elephant tusk there. Almost three feet long, I Almost suppose. Almost three foot long. Mm. Now, I wouldn't like to tell you what price that costs per inch. It's 
pretty mm. expensive anyhow. You wouldn't like to pay it so much. <laughs> I can be You're not saying though, actually how much. I can be mounted with imitation ivory, real ivory, or hand-chased sterling silver. A set of pipes, imitation ivory, are roughly £150. One mounted with real ivory is about 350 and hand-chased sterling silver mounts is £650. Now, the African Blackwoods, I had trouble, I hadn't trouble getting it, but I wanted to break the tradition of doing it, and I went on to Polypanko. Now, these can be made of Polypanko quite well. It's a man-made fiber. Especially the pipe chanter itself. That's the pipe chanter, which is part of the pipes. The principal uh, part, the you could principal say. Parts, the principal mm. part, the main part of the pipes. Now, at the moment, we are turning out roughly about 250 a month. I doubt if we're going to be able to stick it. And they go all over the world, do they? They're going to New Zealand, Canada, Australia, Hong Kong, South Africa, Brittany, down south. In fact, they have a good order in now from the Irish government for the Free State Army. I see one box, in fact, there labelled... That's correct. Army School, Army of, School Music. of Music. yes. And band bridge, pipe band, and That's numerous right. pipe bands numerous all separately labelled. <laughs> you name it, they're all there. And we've just come through the workshop there now. You yes, have, uh, yes, yes. Men working there, how many? That's correct. There's three working there. And I've now last Thursday in an hour's time. Actually, these boys have started this morning at 7 o'clock, half past 7. And they're working till half past 7 at night. And they're not only doing that, but they're going to work on Saturday again to keep up the work. And I'm still backlog of work.
And good luck to our fighters who succeed to do what politicians have failed to achieve so far. The Scottish, the Bretons and the Irish, three different kinds of Celt, are united in a special way in their love for the bagpipes, and they come together in piping festivals in each of the three countries. Different political and religious traditions unite in the same way within Ireland as a whole, either as followers of the Peel War or of the Illan Pipes. Wilbert Garvin, from near Ballymena in County Antrim, is a member of the Council of Napiburi Illan in Dublin, and he sees his eventual choice of the Irish pipes as his favourite instrument as growing out of a general interest in Irish traditional music. Basically, um, I first became interested in, in Irish folk music uh, back when the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Macom were on the go. And uh, from that, I suppose the, the disease starts and it gradually grows and you become more and more traditional in your approach and you eventually reach the point where you want to play on a traditional instrument and uh, really there's only the harp and the Ellen pipes and uh, we still play the pipes in the, uh, in the old st- traditional style and I think it just just evolved to that stage. And uh, you went for the Ellen pipes rather than the, the big pipes... Well, I played war pipes when I was young. I took up the Scottish pipes when I was about 11, and then I played the Brian Baru pipes in my teens, and I suppose a bit of a background to, to the war pipes. Uh, there has always been a considerable interest in the, in the Union pipes uh, in the north. We've had um, famous makers in the past, uh, including R.L. O'Mealy, uh, I believe Taylor, the Drogheda pipe maker who went to America, also originated in Belfast. And uh, you have pipers or pipe makers there in Tyrone too. Andy Warnock is a well-known man too in Cookstown there. Yes, well, he of course he just makes the Scottish pipes. Mm. Uh, the the last. Ellen pipe maker Frank McFadden from Belfast died just a couple of years ago. But like in the rest of Ireland, there's a new breed of pipe makers arising. Uh, we have um, Finbar McLaughlin in, in Londonderry, uh, Robbie Hughes in Belfast, and uh, I'm having a wee go myself. <laughs> Well, nearly everybody who plays the pipes now seems to have to be able to make them or do an odd repair job as well these uh, days. No, this is certainly true. Uh, you really need to be able to be a bit of a mechanic and maintain the instrument, otherwise you can be in bother. Well, I'm setting up this timber for to, to round it. It is in the square, and I've rounded both ends, one to go into the chuck and the other for two. Go into the tailpiece there. 
You have to tighten up all this tailpiece. Make sure it doesn't slip. And then right. I'm turning the wood now. Dan O'Dowd, you're a piper, a pipe maker, a teacher of piping. How did you manage to become proficient in so many different aspects of it, Dan? Yes, so you have to go back a long way now. You have to go back about to 1919 when I started uh, learning the war pipes in the School of Music in Chatham Street. And it was there I used to go into Leo, who was teaching the other room. And it, Leo Rosen. Leo. I'd uh, learn a bit off him and go back into the piping, war piping class again. So then from that, there was a band formed. And we had our hall in the Transport Workers' Union, High Street. The Workers' Union people provided us funds to get instruments and get kilts and all this sort of thing. So we were a fully-fledged band. And when did you become interested in making pipes, Dan? Well, I started off with Billy Andrews, who in Essex Key, who opened a shop there and had a lathe. And I used to go in there and learn my lesson. And when the lesson would be over, he'd be teaching other lads. I'd go with the lathe and i start turning wood, and I liked it. I liked turning wood and using chisels and tools. And when Billy Andrews died... I went down to a, a man named Jimmy McCrone in Fibsborough, who was another pipe maker, and I started with him, where I met Seamus Ennis and his father for the first time in that shop. And I worked there with McCrone for a good number of years, and he made the set, at least I made the best part of it. And I didn't like the set, and I went down to J- John Clark in Stony Batter, who was another maker, and John made another set of pipes for me, and I gave him a hand at turning those two, I didn't like that set either. So was uh, Felix Dorden and sold the other one to Johnny Dorden. Then I went on to Matt Kiernan. And I stayed with Matt for nearly 15 years, working with him. And Matt decided, says he, listen, Dan, says he, why don't you start off on your own, says he. God, says he, Matt, it'd take me a long time to gather tools. So yeah, I'll give you a hand. So we went around gathering up tools and we rigged up this workshop here. So I'm at it ever since. two lades here, we have a foot lade and this power lade. The wood is put in like that and it's spun around. You know, when you, you bring this carrier up along and you go along with the chisel and you make little in and outs, in and outs, little variations all along and you put the ivory on the end, turn it around and do the same the far side. And how many sets of pipes do you reckon you've made in your time? Oh, I'd say a couple of hundred. I've sent about 12 to Germany, some to Holland, some to Spain, New Zealand, and uh, quite a number of them to America. And the uh, Man, two sets went to the Man, believe it or not, and a good lot around England, and a few to Scotland. And Brittany, too, Brittany, I think. oh, yes. yes. I was over there the other day in a brought couple of months ago and I had to bring two sets with me to uh, two Bombardi players and there I'm sending them reads out tomorrow their reads are gone but wonky on them 
Why do you think there's such interest in the Irish pipes at the moment, Dan? I can't understand, but there's a terrible crave for them. And when I send one practice set to a, to a foreign town or in a foreign country, the next thing I get orders for about a half a dozen of them. The Germans are going mad over it. The Dutch, who tell me here, the lads tell me here, they've lost their culture and they're trying to bring back their culture through playing Irish music and falling back on the old folk Dutch music. The French are the same. They, they like the pipes. And the Britons, of course, go mad for them. If you carry a box around Brittany, you'll have tape recorders after you everywhere. And no wonder the tape recorders pursue Dan O'Dowd, because Dan the pipe maker is matched by Dan the performer and by Dan the teacher. In his presence, you just listen and learn. There is a tune called Tobin's Favourite. I always demonstrate with that tune. Playing, it's a jig, and you play it open, then you play it tight the second time. But first, I must get the drones going, and you knock off the chanter with this key. And you have the tenor, the baritone, and the bass going. That's the tenor going. There's the baritone. There's the bass. There's the three regulators of the same. Tobin's favourite, open. I played it loose and I played it tight. Dan O'Dowd's pupils are yielding a new generation of pipers and pipe makers. One of these is Dave Hegarty, a young man from Cork who lives in Leakslip, County Kildare. And the story of his interest in the pipes is typical of many in his age group. I can't remember when I first actually heard them, but I suppose it would have been as a child listening to James Innes on the radio during his programme as I roved out or the various pipers that would be on Kieran McMahon's programme, the job of journey work, about 20 years ago, perhaps, you know. But uh, it wasn't until I came here to Dublin to work that uh, I got an opportunity of meeting other pipers, and then I got an opportunity to learn the pipes, and I was fortunate that I was introduced to a man called Matt Kiernan, who gave me my first few lessons on the pipes, and he also made the set of pipes that I have at the present time. And uh, 
I also got a few lessons from another fine piper called Brian Gallagher, who also used to make reeds, and he gave me my few initial lessons in reed making. And from him and the man I mentioned, Matt Kiernan, I my interest in wanting to learn how to service the instrument and how to make the various parts for it grew. And uh, I also had a few lessons from Den O'Dowd, who's another pipe maker and reed maker. And from then, I accumulated the various tools and pieces of material necessary to make reeds and components for the pipes. And I have more or less taken it from there myself. Uh, at the present time, I'm making a number of regulators. Uh, these are pipes that are, in addition, in addition to the main pipe that you play the melody on, their purpose is to give a, a kind of a chordal accompaniment to a tune that you're playing. And uh, as I didn't have any regulators with the set of pipes that I owned when I got it, I have decided to design regulators myself and by experimentation and trial and error to achieve a suitable set of regulators that will fit the set of pipes that I have already. Uh, this is a reed, a chanter reed now that I have in front of me. And uh, the reeds are probably the most important part of the pipes. That if you haven't got properly made and properly fitted reeds, you'll never be able to play satisfactory music on the instrument because... Uh, as one piper said it, that without a good set of reeds in your pipes, the pipes are about as much value as a, a bunch of sticks. Yeah. Uh, now, the way to test a reed is to suck it like this. And by experience, you can tell from the sound if you're achieving what they call the crow in other words, to get the reed to speak, and as I say, by experience, a piper can tell whether a reed is going to be fairly satisfactory or whether it'll need some adjustment or something like that. This is another one you've got. This in is your another. Hand this now. is another one now. Uh, sometimes it's necessary to get the reed to actually to stop, you know, by a, a quick draw on what they call the staple end of the reed. Uh, Different pipers have different preferences. Some, like a reed that is hard to blow and requires more physical effort. Other pipers, like a fairly soft set of reeds that they don't have to spend as much effort, energy, energy and effort in blowing their pipes. Reeds, regulators, chanter. Drones, bag and bellows. All are really specialist jobs, each requiring its own skills to make. A feature the Irish pipes have in common with the Northumbrian and Czechoslovakian pipes is the bellows, and this it is, combined with the concert pitch developed about a hundred years ago by William Taylor of Drogheda, which makes the Irish pipes unique, and in fact our only distinctive national instrument. How did the word Ulan come in? Could you tell us, Brendan? came in from, uh, I don't know, a piece of fancy, fantasy by um, Grattan Flood. The first suggestion of the thing is that in Walker's Memoirs of the Irish Bards, that was printed here in 1786, 
Uh, Walker refers to the fact that Valencia, who is one of these... That he had suggested that the the Irish pipes were Kushla um, Kjol, and since Kushla was a vein on the inside of the arm, and the outside of that was was the Ollen, um, as he called it. You see, it's it's demonstrated then that the name of these pipes were. Uh, might perhaps be Ollen, really, and, of course, that, that would uh, undoubtedly be a corruption of the, the woollen pipes that uh, were mentioned in Shakespeare's um, Merchant of Venice, it is. They had some peculiar qualities. <laughs> uh, the set of pipes is tuned uh, from the chanter, and the reed is first fitted to the chanter, and is tested with the drone to see if the chanter, in fact, is in tune with itself. In other words, if the, the, the bottom note of the octave is in tune with the top note of the octave, in other words, that the scale isn't elongated, like, in other words, that it would be too sharp, the whole scale would be too sharp, or that the whole scale wouldn't be too flat. So you test with the drone on the bottom note and test it for accuracy against the top note. You just hold those two down. Yeah, just just put your finger over him there. Uh, yes, uh, I have him fairly well in tune on. I'll play two reels. The uh, Old torn petticoat and tied a bonnet. Dave Hegarty is a member of the Pipers Club, Napibri Illan, founded in Dublin exactly ten years ago by people like Brendan Branagh, Dan O'Dowd and Seamus Ennis. The club has played a big part in popularising the pipes in the years between. Another factor has been the use of the pipes by groups like the Chieftains, whose fame has become worldwide. fact that the pipe being in these kind of groups did draw attention that's, uh, to the instrument itself and people who I suppose would not have have suffered we say 100% pure traditional music on the pipes or any other instrument were kind of attracted towards Irish music and some very good pipers we have at the moment were first became acquainted with the pipes by hearing them in groups in the Chieftain's Planksty. Thank you. 
five young pipers, one of them a girl, playing in tune in the Armagh Pipers Club, are a sign that more and more young people in the north are coming together in devotion to the Illan Pipes. The success of the club is a tribute mainly to the dedication of that versatile young man, painter and sportsman, piper and pipe maker, writer and teacher, Brian Vallely, and of his wife, Esna. Their club in Armagh predates Napibury Illan in Dublin. We're going since about uh, 67 or, or 68. And uh, it's, it's hard sometimes to, f- to fix an exact date on it, but I think well, we're certainly going a year or so before the PBL and the National Papers Association was formed. Like we were in existence at that stage, but before that, we've been involved in, in, in uh, Coltis Branch here in Armagh, and then we uh, began to try and think about how we could do something to uh, specifically promote piping. At, at that stage we had no pipes and nobody could play pipes but uh, we very quickly we got a, a couple of practice sets from Matt Kiernan and uh, Peter Maggie and myself started to, to learn on those and, uh, Well there's a great interest in the pipes apparently among the young people at the moment I'd say the, the only barrier you know, to the, the future of piping is, is the lack of pipes there'd be as many people probably playing pipes as tin whistles if they could buy them as uh, easily or as cheaply but uh, the pipes have now become a, a prestige instrument and uh, people who have got them are charging very expensive prices you know at an average child there it's impossible to get five or six hundred pounds to pay for a set of pipes you discovered early on i think brian that uh, there was a tutor needed and you set about providing one yourself isn't that right well, we sort of we struggled along, learning a bit here and a bit there. You know, Matt Kiernan now was very, very useful because he, he taught me the first bit of ornamentation ever I got on the pipes. Then we had people like Dan Dowd with Frank McFadden who taught us something about the scale. And then we had, of course, Willie Clancy down in Clare and for inspiration and listening to his music, etc. But there was nothing uh, in writing you know, that we could just say go to and use in a class. There, there were piping tutors, but they seemed to start with the assumption that you're already a fairly proficient musician and uh, we sort of felt that if you had something that took you through stages, you know, analysed and isolated the various problems in piping from the scale to, through the simplest ornamentation, through the different things that you could do, uh, that this would be useful, you know, leading on then to advanced difficult tunes and uh, we worked on this and eventually produced this uh, piping tutor. And you use it in your classes, do you? Well, it's 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 used in, in the classes, but the, the classes more or less give, give rise to the tutor, you know, that uh, the tutor was a summary of what we had been doing in the classes, and um, they all have a piping tutor and they work away with it, and I use it for the classes. Well, maybe we could look in on one of your classes now. Yeah, well, see what you're doing and hear what you're doing. Yeah. Well, there are a, a number of different uh, styles of playing. You know, you have the purists, you know, who just go in for staccato playing. That's where they isolate every note, one note after the other. And it's a style of playing that was popularised by Patsy Toohey, you know, and there were a lot of recordings made early in, in the century. And uh, you have a school of piping who believes that 
you must isolate every note and you have this tight fingering and then you have loose or open playing where they just play the chanter like a flute and then you have another style of playing which is at the Willie Clancy or Seamus Ennis we have a, a mixture you know some open fingering and that Johnny Dorn was a great exponent of this but uh, Tarlick here's playing a, a hornpipe and uh, you'll get some idea from that of uh, some tight triplets and a bit of open fingering as well so if you would just play a few bars of that just getting the tuning right Among the young members of the Armagh Pipers Club may be found perhaps some of the great pipers of tomorrow, makers of magnificent music to measure up to the Rousams, Clancy's, O'Dowd's and Ennis's of our own day. Thank you. 